sin. You know, you can sacrifice all you want, but God, God knows our heart. But there, there's a lot in that if you, if you get into each one. Being a peacemaker, that, that's hard to do. I mean, in the world we live in, it's doing to others before they do unto you. You know, get the other guy. You know what? You want to do something to me? And I, this week I learned that. Uh, just read each one and see how it applies to your life. It, it, Jesus is challenging me with these, and he's also encouraging me because he's saying, you know, if you're a peacemaker, you're going to get this. If you do this, you're going to get that. So he just, he, not only did he rock their world, uh, which he did his whole ministry, and I tell you, when I read the Gospels, I love it when Jesus talks. The narratives and all that are great, but, you know, I just, I hit the brakes when I start, mine's Red Letter Edition, I just hit the brakes to hear what Jesus said. And, and I got thinking about it. The Beatitudes are, are the beginning of the longest sermon that Jesus ever ever gave. And I'm thinking, when I have to give a presentation at work or I have to do this or that, I have to study. You know, I have to get all my figures right, make sure everything's right, make sure. No. Jesus didn't do that because he's the son of God. He was there, he was there when was, this was written. He, he knows what is right and what is wrong. And everything he told them, he's telling us in, the, in, these, in these eight blessings that we're going to get. So I encourage you to, to read those uh, this week, study them, and see, you know what, Jesus, you're all right. You're encouraging me, and you're also challenging me. Because this, these eight right here in the world we live today is very tough to do. But like Jesus said, the things that I'm doing you're going to do them even better than I did. You're going to have more power than I did. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just I thank you for these eight blessings that you've given us. Thank you for all the many blessings you've given us. That our lives are full of blessings. Thank you for the word. Thank you we live in a, in a, in a world where we can, we can celebrate your word and study your word. There's, there's so many people out there just at the end of the, of what we read today was that there's people persecuted today. There's people that, that are losing their lives over your word and their, their reward will be great in heaven. And we, I just thank you. I live in a country where I can stand up in a group of people and, and profess that I'm a Christian and I love you. I might get insulted a little bit, called a Jesus freak or you're weird, you're naive, you, you don't know, but you know, I'm more, I'm more than glad to, to confess that you're my father and I'm, I'm a child of God. We just ask you to open hearts, eyes, and minds today to the message. Ask you to bless Pastor Neil as he delivers the message. Uh, we welcome you into this, this worship service, Lord. Just go with us this week. Lead us, guide us, direct us in all your ways. And most of all, I just thank you for the sacrifice that your son Jesus performed on the cross. And it's his name I pray. Amen. Good morning. There's several reasons choir is going to have ice cream this afternoon. One being we miss several of you who, you know, have been with us before and aren't with us right now. Next big reason, we have lots of empty chairs we'd love to get filled. Um, and it's a good opportunity for you to come and, like, see what it's like to be in choir, but also have the, like, incentive to, you know, eat ice cream. And most importantly, today is Joe Whittemore's birthday. So if you're going to have choir practice, you might as well celebrate a birthday, right? 
So we're going to open up this morning, as Neil would say, you know, we'd love to do for all what we can do for one, but hey, your birthday only falls on a Sunday every seven years if you're lucky. So if you'll stand this morning, we're going to open up with singing happy birthday to Mr. Joe. Happy birthday to you. grateful for Joe and Judy Whittemore. We're going to continue our worship this morning with singing, He Keeps Me Singing.
something funny real quick? Did you know that there are four, blessed be the names of the Lord, in the hymnal right here? Four. And the one I had thought we were singing originally wasn't even in the hymnal. So that one's on me because out of the four in the computer, we didn't pick the one that we were going to sing. But you know what? Glenlock's talented because you just took the words to a completely different song and made it fit the blessed be the name that we know. How cool is that? So everybody give yourself a round of applause because sometimes, you know, you got to do that. And you may be seated. This morning, instead of the choir special, we're going to take a minute to pray for our youth. Um, and Neil's going to have them come up. But as they're coming up and Neil's speaking, um, Rebecca's going to just put on the board all the names of the kids who are going from Glenlock and First Baptist. And so I encourage you to just kind of spot a name that you can remember and pray for that kid all week. Um, or if you pick one from each team, just even if you need to jot a name down, jot down some of these names um, so you have them in your mind this week during your prayer time. Yeah, amen. Youth camp is always a transforming week for the adults and youth. So, as the team names are, or teams and names are scrolled up there, I encourage you to look over who they are and be in prayer for those people this week. But if you're an adult or a student going to youth camp, volunteering or learning, would you just stand where you are? And I'm going to ask, well, Bill's already here. If you're going to youth camp, stand where you are so that we can just see who you are and be in prayer for you this week. And I've asked Bill Grissett to come and lead us in prayer. Uh, so just remain standing during the prayer. And adults and other people who are going to stay at home, be road holders for us and be in prayer for us as we go. Our theme this year is the cross of Christ. And we're going to talk about the promise of the cross, the effect of the cross, and what God did for us through the cross. So Bill, would you pray? Bill's got a wife and two children going to youth camp, and uh, Bill's the BCM director on campus at West Georgia and such an important part of the life of the church. So, Bill, will you lead us in prayer, please? Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. We thank you for these, these students, these, these parents, um, adults who, who have taken their time to, to go to this camp, Father, just to pour into these young people. Father, we pray um, that, the, that the, the theme would just um, go throughout the camp, Father. Pray for Bryson and all the other leaders from the other churches. Father, I pray that everything would go smoothly, that the gospel would be presented, Father, that lives would be changed, that, that these students would hear you in a way they've never heard, Father, before. Father, we pray that, um, they, that for safety on the way down, God, for, for good weather and, and safe conditions while they're at the beach, for, for safety coming back, but, Father, mostly for a changed heart, Father. For um, We just pray that you would challenge them with every word that is spoken, with all the speakers, with the seminars, even with the games and the free time and just the fun, Father. We, we pray that you would speak to them and challenge them. And Father, just help this to be a, a great week and, a, and, a, and a, a life-changing week for so many of these students, Father. Um, Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunities that we have in America that so many don't. And um, Father, we just, we just pray that this would be a tremendous week for them. And we just ask this in your name. And if everyone will stand, I promise if you come to Glenlock regularly, you're going to know this song by heart. Um, we're going to sing Hallelujah, What a Savior together.
this morning. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for just being a God that, Lord, we can worship through song, God. And, Lord, that we can just celebrate and honor, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you're with us in every circumstance and every situation, God. And we just praise you in singing just hallelujah, God. You are what a Savior, a Savior that none other compares to, God. Lord, we're so blessed just to be able, be able to come and worship you, God, but just to also be used by you. Um, Lord, we're so unworthy, yet you choose to love us and use us and allow us to serve anyways. Um, so just open our hearts, Lord, and clear our conscience, and may we learn what we need to learn this morning, Lord, through Pastor Neil. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Catherine. As our children leave for children's church and children's ministry, the rest of us, please turn to 1 Peter chapter, what chapter, Neil? Chapter 3. <laughs> I had my Bible open to the wrong place. I could preach 1 Peter 1, but you would be like, we already did that a couple of months ago. So 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to begin with verse 8. But we're going to expound on verses 13 through verse 18. I'm grateful for uh, being out of town last week and Brother Terry Harper preaching uh, in, my own, on, in my place on our behalf from God's Word. And so this week we're back in 1 Peter. My wife and I went hiking several days in the Rockies. If you've ever been out there, it's like uh, the Georgia mountains on steroids. <laughs> so uh, we're still a little sore from some of the hiking, but it's great to be back and great to be back in the pulpit. And so blessed to have so many good teachers and preachers in our own congregation, in our Sunday school classes, our Bible studies. I encourage you to be as involved and as engaged as you possibly can in taking advantage of the opportunities that God gives for His Word to be taught and preached in our congregation. So, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Peter is addressing Christians who are scattered in what we would now call modern-day Turkey. They are under great persecution. Peter himself knows a bit about failure. He knows a bit about personal sin. He knows a bit about persecution. And he knows a whole lot about Jesus. In fact, as I studied this week, the reason I asked Jeff to read the Beatitudes is that it sounds like Peter has heard everything that he's going to tell us today before. And he did. He heard it in the Sermon on the Mount. It sounds like he's seen everything that we're going to look at today exhibited in a personal, powerful way. And he has. He heard it from Jesus. He saw it in Jesus. And he especially saw in the way Christ suffered and died, and the way God raised him from the dead, the lens through which we should see all of life, especially times of suffering and difficulty. So, picking up with 1 Peter 3, 8, just for context and review, but all this is tied together. To sum it all up, Peter says, let all be harmonious, Sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. 
4. And then he quotes from Psalm 34. We mentioned Peter had been studying Psalm 34. He says, Let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He ends the quote from Psalm 34, and he picks up with verse 13 in what is kind of a transition. So then he says this, Well, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous, if you prove zealous for what is good? Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Then he quotes from Isaiah 8. He was also reading from Isaiah 8 as he addressed these Christians who were suffering. He says, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But, verse 15, sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account or a defense for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and reverence. With gentleness and reverence. And, he's just piling on the instructions. But go back to number one. Now here's, here's, here's another one. Keep a good conscience. So that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right than for suffering for doing what is wrong well Peter why do you say all these things what makes all these things crucial and possible verse 18 for Christ also died for sins once for all the just for the unjust in order that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Yet again, he comes back to the good news of Christ. Father, thank you for these instructions you've given us. They are, as Jeff said, they are both challenging and they are encouraging. We sin and fall short of this regularly and constantly. Therefore, we need your forgiveness. We also need your power, for you will not lessen your demands. You will not lessen your holiness. You will not draw back from what you require of us. So as we are convicted and encouraged, may our eyes turn once again away from ourselves and onto Christ, who not only is a great example of how to face suffering, but he is our Savior from sin and death and suffering. And apart from him, Father, we are lost. Apart from him, Father, we are doomed. Thank you. Hallelujah. What a Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. If you're like me and you honestly address yourself in light of the demands of Scripture, you are humbled and you recognize that this is very different from what I see often in me and also what I see in the world around us. 
One of my favorite illustrations, you've heard it before, is of the great Bible commentator Matthew Henry, who lived in the late 1600s, early 1700s, and he wrote a massive Bible commentary that some of you have the short version. <laughs> but the long version of Matthew Henry's commentary would pretty much fill up uh, your library. One day on the streets of London, he was robbed. and Somebody took his wallet from him. And he went home and wrote in his journal, Today I was robbed. And I want to thank you, God, for the following things. Number one, that I've never been robbed before. Number two, that even though they took everything that I had, it wasn't much. <laughs> number three, that even though they took my wallet, they did not take my life. And number four, that I was the one who was robbed rather than the one who was doing the robbing. And every time I've heard that story of Matthew Henry, I'm, I'm stunned because I don't know that I would respond quite so righteously to wrongdoing. All of us relate to that. All of us can see the, the astounding contrast that is when, when we face difficulty, you know, not returning evil for evil, not returning insult for insult, blessing people. So what we have today in verses 13 through, what did I say, 18. Hey, these are clear instructions. And these are instructions to the blessed. In other words, Peter says, okay, you are people who are going to inherit an infinite blessing. The kingdom of God and all that goes with it. Do not be afraid, your Father has chosen to give you the whole kingdom. So since you're going to inherit that infinite good blessing, then that should transform how you live and how you relate, especially to suffering and insult and difficulty. So these instructions are to the blessed, and they lay themselves out real clear. There's five clear qualities that God demands of the blessed in times of suffering. And these lay out real clear and easy to preach. <laughs> these may be, this may be a short ladder, all right, but it's difficult to climb. In other words, they clearly are out there, but we find it difficult to put them into practice. So let me just get to, to the text. Number one, what are the instructions to the blessed? What qualities does God demand of us, especially in difficulty? Number one, zeal for what is good. Zeal. Passion, energy, enthusiasm toward what is good. Well, I got a question. What's good? What's he talking about? Well, everything in verses 8 through 12, for one thing harmony, sympathy, kindness, humility, a submissive spirit those are the things that God says are good. But what he says is that if you are zealous, if you have fire and energy for what is good, then nobody can ultimately harm you. Wait a second. One of my favorite quotes in saying is, is that no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> and this flies right in the face of that. I've said that for years. No good deed goes unpunished. In other words, you do something good, I guarantee you, there's going to be some negative effects of doing good. You see it in your life and in every... Every, but, but, but bear with me. 
He's talking about ultimately, if God is for you, nobody can be against you. When you stand in judgment and give account for your life, and you have loved the Lord, you have strived, rather, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you've strived to do good, and your soul is in that that grain and, 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 and has that zeal, then no one can ultimately harm you because God is your defender. So he says, even in difficulty and even in suffering, you ought to be zealous for what is good, and here's why. God is for us in an ultimate way. Therefore, we should fearlessly and passionately do as much good as we can Using our gifts and our energy, which you have much of, for loving and serving God and others rather than being pridefully insecure with greedy self-interest. In other words, use what you have for good in all these difficult times rather than using what you have for bad. And we are faced with this choice every day. So he's telling the Christian, you're ultimately secure That our security does not reside in the strength of our faith, but in the indestructible nature of our Savior. Jesus was the perfect example for this, of this. He did what? He went about doing good. Paul tells Titus, Jesus gave himself for us so that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Let's call a time out and do some self-examination. How zealous are you for good deeds? Are you thinking about who you might love and serve and give to? John Wesley said this, Do all the good that you can. Do all the good that you can by all the means that you can and all the ways that you can and all the places you can at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. That sounds exhausting. (laughs) But still, that is our call. Now, I encourage you, if you struggle to do good things for others, start small. Say, this week I'm going to do one unselfish thing that is costly to me for somebody else. And I want you to see what that does to your soul. I want you to see what that does to that other person. I want you to see what that does to the relationship you have with that other person. In order for us to pull this off, we must fight apathy. And we must take advantage of every opportunity to do good to others. Life is brief and uncertain. The people in this room, the people in your house, the people in your workplace, the people in your community, you only have so many opportunities to do good for them. And then it's gone, or you're gone, or they're gone. The Bible is calling us to be on fire for doing good to other people with the opportunities that God gives us. And those doors are going to close. You only have so many days to do good to the people who are currently in your circle of life. God gives us ample opportunities. Make plans every day, every week to do good to others. Listen, freely you have received Freely give. Man, point number one took me back to my childhood. When we, at, at, at maybe my granddad's church, they used to sing this little song. The title of the song, because I looked it up, thank the Lord for Google, A Beautiful Life. 
You ever heard this? Each day I'll do a golden deed by helping those who are in need. My life on earth is but a span, and so I'll do the best I can. Each day I'll do a golden deed. Any of you remember that song? All right, that's point number one. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. If you understand the gospel, if you really get it, you'll be zealous for good deeds. Number two, you also should be willing to suffer for righteousness. That's in verse 14. Are you willing to suffer for righteousness? Are you scared to death to be embarrassed? Scared to death to be hurt? Scared scared to death to be labeled. Scared to death to be different. He says, look, don't fear. Don't fear their intimidation. Don't be troubled. If you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. That's so counterintuitive to how we think and who we are by nature. And the reason Peter keeps coming back to this for these Christians who are suffering throughout Asia Minor, they are under great persecution, they're under great difficulty because of their faith in Jesus. People called them cannibals. <laughs> because they said, look, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. One of those crazy Christians talking about eating and drinking the flesh and the blood. They're cannibals. <laughs> they're pulling away from society and living a holy life. What a waste. That what a waste to live for. The Peter, Peter says, look, do not fear their intimidation. Don't be afraid of their trouble because God is sovereign and he's in control. And that quote from Isaiah 8, the context was that God was sovereign even when it seemed that evil and the enemies of God's people had the other hand, upper hand. Even when it seems evil has the upper hand, trust that God is still in total control and He is sovereign and good. Baseless, listen, baseless slander will ultimately be shown for what it really is. Absolutely nothing. Are you willing to suffer for the sake of righteousness? These all build on one another. Number three. Are you setting apart Christ as Lord over your heart? That's verse 15. Sanctify, set apart, make, choose. This is an act. If you set a table, I mean you decisively choose to set that table. It takes a decisive, willful act. So this is what we ought to do. In suffering, difficulty, and all I look, set, set Christ before you. Okay? Him before you. He must become greater, you must become less. This means that Jesus is Lord of your heart, and therefore of your whole life. Since from the heart flow the springs of life, Jesus is to be the gatekeeper and watchman over the heart. He is the encourager of your heart, the guide over your heart. He's the passion and energy of your heart. So this is what I I wrote to myself. My adoration... And my focus and my strength must consistently be upon Him. Because I've set Him before me always and He's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. See how they're drawing strength from from Christ and Him being Lord over the heart. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
So to set apart Christ as Lord of your heart means to adore Him with complete reverence and let that drive and form all of your life and, and taking every thought captive to Him. Great definition of what I'm trying to say comes from a man named Tim Keller. This came from the book I was reading a few weeks ago related to marriage because we were preaching on submission in marriage. I came across this quote. We talk a lot about fear in the Bible, worship. And this is what he said. I thought this was really good. Then I'm going to give you an illustration. Fear in the Bible means to be overwhelmed, to be controlled by something. To fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with wonder because of the greatness of God and His love. It means that because of His bright and magnificent love, you find Him fearfully beautiful. Let me read that again. Because of His bright and magnificent love, you find Him fearfully beautiful. Is that the way you feel about Christ? You see what He's done for you, the perfect life He lived? Are you amazed and awed and therefore you've got Him fearfully placed over your heart and life? And every person, every circumstance, every temptation, you're controlled by Him. Now on our hiking expedition over the weekend, in Rocky Mountain National Park, I know you hate to hear of other people's vacations. <laughs> watch their pictures on social media and, but Tracy and I weren't far from our camp and on a hiking trail in the middle of nowhere it was just me and her and randomly every now and then a person we saw a moose <laughs> to the left of me 15 feet from me now I have never been so close to a moose I've only seen a moose on TV or in a car at a great distance and this moose is 15 feet from us and she's chewing the cud, and she's looking at me with wild eyes. And this moose, moose is huge. I mean, up there they got mountains on steroids. They got horses on steroids, and they call them moose. <laughs> what a great photo opportunity, though. Can you talk about Instagram and Facebook to have a moose 15 feet from you looking at you with those? And I thought to myself, no. <laughs> Our instinct at that moment was not to take a picture of the moose, but to run. <laughs> and I'm thinking, all i got to do is outrun Tracy. <laughs> then I thought, wait, that's not, that's not, that's not loving uh, your wife as Christ loves the church at all. But that's the opposite. Then we start thinking, what can a human do that a moose can't do? Climb up a rock, right? But we talked about that and talked about the feeling that seeing such a a rare, unique, powerful, mysterious being. I found that moose fearfully beautiful. <laughs> now I'm talking about Jesus being like a moose. No, I'm just trying to say that when you're confronted with something or someone transcendent, it, it begins to dominate you. I mean, there are things that you're afraid of right now in life, and let's be honest, those, those things dominate you to a degree. But Jesus is the only one who can both dominate you and protect you and encourage you in just the right way 
That's why we are to sanctify him and no other person, no other place, no other thing, no other idea, no other goal. We are to set apart Christ as Lord over our hearts. I must move on. But the whole Bible says this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will fall into place. And you can negate these instructions. Jeff, you gave me a good illustration this morning. Hey, if you don't follow the instructions, you might get some pieces right, but the whole thing's not going to run. You either take all this as a whole, or, or, you, or you're buying into something else that's not going to be God's will and plan for your life. God is opposed to everything in your life but Christ being set apart above and beyond it. And number three is the whole point of the Bible, to set Christ as Lord of your heart. i got to move on. Number four deals solely with hope. And the reason I point this out is that are you living a hope-filled life that draws the hope from Jesus and who He is? Look at verse 15. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That tells me that my, I need to maintain hope, I need to display hope, and I need to be ready to share hope when people ask, why are you so hopeful? I mean, look at all the negative energy in our world and our society. And look at it in your heart. Hope thrives on the gospel. He was, made, he was made alive in the spirit after being put to death in the flesh. That's how, where you get your hope. That's how you maintain it. Well, here's the problem. Does, does anybody ever come up to you and say, Hey, I want to know, why are you so hopeful? You know, we get around you and the whole world's falling apart. The whole thing's caving in. We're coming apart at the seams. But you have so much hope. Look at this text from the evangelism standpoint. People ought to be asking us, and then, okay, what's the reason for our hope? You tell me. What is the reason for our hope? What reason would we give for being so hopeful? Oh, I got... I'm healthy, right? No. Got plenty of money in the bank? No. I'm successful at my job and career? No. I got life by the tail? No, because all that is a facade. All that is going to be gone. It fades away. Our hope is who? It's Christ. And it's God. So be very careful in how you share with others the gospel. It's got to be done with the right content, but also in the right way. Do it with gentleness and do it with respect and reverence for the other person. You are not the Holy Spirit, but sharing the truth in love will make you an instrument of the Holy Spirit and God will do the work. God will do the work. Maintain, display, and share the hope that's in you. That's Number five, keep a healthy conscience. Keep a healthy conscience. The, the reason I say this is that Peter says it. Look at verse 16. You need to keep a good conscience. Has your conscience ever troubled you because of something you did? Has your conscience ever bothered you because of something you didn't do? 
Praise God for a sensitive conscience. How do I keep my conscience healthy, whole, sound, alive, discerning, sensitive? How do we do that? To have our conscience informed and transformed to stay aligned with the will of God as described in His Word. His Word must form and develop the health of my conscience. Convicting us of sin and encouraging us toward righteousness. Specifically this means, what does the Bible say about it? Chapter and verse. To help your conscience, you could go to Philippians 4.8. Whatever's true, whatever's good, whatever's beautiful, whatever's holy, think on these things. That will empower us to respond correctly to those who malign us. You want to know some biblical examples of people who had a clear conscience or a healthy conscience? Joseph in the Old Testament, when tempted by Potiphar's wife, How will this affect my relationship with God? How will this affect my relationship with others? How will it affect my own soul and my spiritual life? A sensitive conscience was Jonah. Throw me overboard and the storm will stop. (laughs) You're thinking, I don't know that I want my conscience to be that sensitive, right? All this is caused by me and my sin and what's going on in my life. Maintain a sensitive conscience and it will guide you and lead you as God's word informs it to, be, to stay on the right path and to go in the right direction. A few weeks ago I learned that golf carts have a conscience. You remember this, Bryson? We were playing in the tournament, raising money, I guess, for the Heard High School football program and we're driving in a golf cart and that particular day the rules are cart path only. Or 90 degree only. Any of you know what I'm talking about? You're going down through there and you think, ah, nobody can see us. <laughs> the clubhouse is half a mile away. You're going down there in your golf cart and then it starts to beep. We're off path and you get back on. And if you go too far out of the way, the whole thing shuts down and you've got to get in reverse and back up and get back on the path. I thought somebody's put a conscience inside these golf carts. And if it gets too far offline, the whole thing will shut down. And if it's starting getting off to the path to the right, the, the whole thing, you know, something starts going off. So try this. If somebody does evil to you, you, hey, you do evil back. I want you to pay them back, and I want you to make them hurt, and I want you to, I want you to make them feel every bit of pain and suffering that you felt. Okay, pay them back. And if you are a child of God, your conscience will wear you out. And what you feel in your conscience will be worse than what they did to you from the beginning. Those of you who have a sensitive, spirit-filled conscience know that you can't forge very long in the direction of sin without God making you say, I hope and pray that I never do that again. That's what Peter's talking about. Because they were maligned. They were insulted. They were intimidated. They they were scorned because of their faith. To a degree that none of us know anything about here in this particular country. What were they to do? They were to stand true and hard with the word of God and allow God 
to make their conscience shut them down and redirect them if they got off the path. Maintain a healthy conscience. How? By allowing God's Word to form your mind and your heart. Okay, I'm going to close with this. Verse 18 is the heart of the message. Verse 18 is the heart of the Bible. Verse 18 is a repeating of the gospel, and you need to do this every day, and here's why. You need forgiveness for not living up to God's holy standard. You've failed. You are guilty. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Son of God was He. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a Savior. You need saving from sin, which is to violate these instructions. But not only do you need forgiveness, you need power. You need change. You need a new heart and a new mind and a new way of looking at things. And the gospel also provides that. Because if you work this out, Christ died for our sins once and for all. And him saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Him saying, it is finished. How he faced injustice. How he faced the whole host of hell and of sin against him. He was the just, the only pure, innocent, beautiful, righteous one who exercised perfect submission. Perfect submission. He did this for the unjust. Well, who are they? Look in the mirror. You're not just lost and searching for significance. We are guilty, vile, and wicked. And God, here's the gospel. God justifies the wicked. The just has died for the unjust, you and me, so that he might bring us to God. That's the result of the victory. That's the result of the cross and the resurrection. That makes me think I couldn't get to God on my own. I had to be brought to God. Somebody had to take me into the court. Christ. And somebody had to die for me and somebody had to live for me. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Go there first and then back up and say, Okay, now I'll maintain a clear conscience because I know what that is and how. Now I'll be willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. Now I'll be willing to do good to other people. Now I'll be willing to do all the things that you've talked about because they flow from the power that is the gospel. That's what we need. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. As I said, it's so clear and instructive and helpful. It tells us what you expect of us that is different, that's against the grain, that is against the current of our fallen self, the world around us, how people are normally taught to react to difficulty and circumstances and injustice. Help us to do good to the, to the suffering, those who are facing injustice. Help us also, Father, to, to, to understand mercy. <laughs> that, that if you were to grant us what we truly deserved and what we truly earned, it would be eternal separation from you. Help us to see in Christ the just dying for the unjust so that we will grasp mercy and grace and then pass that on to others in our daily lives. Thank you, Father, for the grace of being here to preach, the grace to listen.
And now the grace to go outside of here and put it into practice. May we live such hope-filled lives that other people ask, What is wrong with you? You are too hopeful. May that happen in somebody's life this week, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing. What a friend we have in Jesus. seated will now take our offering let me just say before we uh, pray that I was inspired by Neil this morning and he um, I mean, basically, we're all talking about just having a better relationship with God. And what better relationship to have with God than to invest in his business? God's about our business. And uh, we can form a, a better relationship with him by investing in him, giving him the ability to help us as well as helping others. And I just challenge you this morning. Let's pray.
Dear Lord, we just thank you for uh, the opportunity to come to church and Lord, just be here to learn more about you, get closer to you and be around like-minded people. Lord, we ask you to take this money that we have earned and to use it in your way to better our church, better our community, and to better our lives in the relationship with you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 